Well, it is very good to be with you here this morning, and I would like to echo what uh, Larry had had said. I was very blessed. Uh, where'd you go, Jen? Jen, very blessed. And Chris, where'd he go? He's one of those guys that's everywhere on a Sunday morning, I bet, right? Very blessed by the worship um, worship this morning. You could certainly hear, feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. Um, in, in the room this morning, was very blessed, very blessed by that. As Larry said, uh, we are from from Niverville, where we pastored for just under 15 years, and we are in Niverville. But before that, uh, our family actually grew up in Ontario. But I hope that you won't hold that against us. Um, but you'll probably will hold the next thing I say against us. We're Leaf fans. Um, so yeah, um, you, it's a good thing you don't have any fruit or anything of that nature. Um, or be, it would be coming my way. <laughs> but um, what, Larry had sent me a couple of topics that relate to the core values uh, here at uh, Landmark Christian Fellowship, and one of them was uh, healthy marriages and families. And uh, when I saw that, I thought, well, how can I not go uh, with that one? Because that is certainly something that is under constant attack in our culture today. And uh, interestingly enough, my wife and I were visiting our daughter at Briarcrest College uh, a couple of weeks ago, and the church that we visited that morning was just beginning a series on healthy marriages and families. And I thought to myself, you know, this topic actually really does need an entire series. Um, so I really can't do it justice in, in one sermon. And so I thought to myself, well, Lord, where do, where do we go with this this Sunday? And I felt the Lord saying, well, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go to the first family in the book of Genesis. And so I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. And uh, there are three target words that I'd like to encourage you to keep in mind this morning that I will be referring to. And those words are beautiful, broken, and blessed. And so they kind of go along with uh, healthy, unhealthy, and healthy. And when, when we, we're very familiar with the Genesis account, and, and we see in the, in the book of Genesis that as God was creating uh, the world, on six different occasions, he looked at what he was creating, and he said, this is good. And in Genesis 1, 31, uh, he took a step back and he said, this is, this is very good. But in Genesis chapter 2, 18, he said there's one thing that wasn't so good. And he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And so I'm going to create for him a helper. And so we know that he created Eve. But in Genesis chapter 3, uh, this is where things get, get very interesting. And it's at this point that everything was healthy. Everything was, I'll say, everything was, was beautiful. Everything in the world was what everyone is aspiring to today. A lot of people just don't know it. But they had everything that they wanted. They were provided for. They had a perfect open relationship with each other. They had perfect fellowship with God. It was everything that it was created to be. But things, as we know, took a change for the worse in Genesis chapter 3. And so we're going to read Genesis chapter 3, 
verses 1 to 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. I want to stop here for a second. I'm kind of one of those guys that I'll read a verse and then I'll kind of take a bit of a detour, so forgive me. If you're ever thinking this week, I want to kind of just do a quick Bible study on something, stop and check that out. Have you ever wondered why Moses, who recorded the book of Genesis, the first five books of the Bible, in fact, have you ever wondered why he, he recorded it this way? Now, the serpent was more crafty. Why didn't he just say the serpent was crafty? But why did he say the serpent was more crafty? Maybe your translation uh, says the serpent was more cunning. But why didn't he say, why did he have to use that descriptive more? Why was he more cunning or more crafty than any other, other wild animals the Lord God had made? There's a reason for that. I'm not going to tell you. Um, but I would encourage you to go and, and do a little Bible study on that because, well, well, does that mean that the other wild animals, they had the potential to be crafty as well? What does that mean? Check it out. It's a very, very interesting, interesting read. So he said to the woman, did God really say you, mon- you must not eat from the tree, from any tree in the garden? Do you see he's twisting things already? The woman said to the serpent, and she corrected him, we may eat from the trees in the garden. God did say we must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows when we eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then their eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked so they sewed fig trees fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You know those movies, you've probably watched a movie or a television show where right in the middle of it there's a a freeze frame. Uh, Maybe you've watched that movie, Freaky Friday, Um, and there's there's a freeze frame, and you know that something is about to happen. And and so the the image on the screen, it kind of, it pixelates, and right in the middle, as everything freezes, you know that when it unfreezes, something is about to change. Something different is, is going to happen. I kind of think of it that way with, with the Garden of Eden. When, when they took that bite, picture it this way, that there was a, everything just froze for that moment of time. And when that freeze frame took place, that's when sin entered the world. And the world went from healthy to unhealthy. It went from beautiful to broken. And everything in the world, as had God had created it, had, had perfect rhythm. And when Adam and Eve took that bite, the rhythm was broken. Wildlife turned on each other. 
the weather patterns, everything that God had created to be, the weather patterns became abnormal, and to this day, we still can't control them. Uh, disease entered the world. Everything fell out of its rhythm. Our world became unhealthy and broken. But as we read this text, do you, do you notice something that Satan was already setting Adam and Eve up for something before they took the bite from the, from the, the fruit? He was already setting them up for something. He was introducing a tactic that if we're married, we would have to admit we all struggle with. In fact, most of us would probably say, especially when we're first married, most of us would say that was probably the first thing that we struggle with. Anyone want to take a guess at what that might be? Come on, there's no wrong answers. No, that's the wrong answer. Uh, no. <laughs> yes. Communication. That's the right answer. <laughs> Communication. See... Scripture says that they were right there together. So many times, I, don't, I remember growing up being taught that, or being under the impression that, that Eve was by the tree and Adam was kind of somewhere else. But Scripture says he, he was right there with her, right beside her. He could have stepped in and said, don't do it. He could have told the, stirp, the serpent to stop. She could have turned and said to her husband, what do you think about this? But she went ahead and ate. They didn't confer with one another. And you know, when you look at Scripture in the Old Testament you will notice that God was in constant communication with the children of Israel. It was something that he was very focused on and very, very committed to. When he wanted to communicate with the children of Israel, he used a strong leader like Moses. He used a judge like Gideon. He used a king like David. He used a prophet such as Isaiah. He was in constant communication because communication was vital to the relationship with the children of Israel. When the children of Israel were listening and when the children of Israel were responding, the relationship with God went well. When the children of Israel were not responding, when they were not listening to God, the relationship, well, we know it, it didn't go so well, did it? Same thing with our marriages. When the communication isn't there, the relationship breaks down and it doesn't go so well. Now let's go back to this freeze frame. The freeze frame unfreezes. So you know how the pixelated image in, in the movie goes? It goes, it ends. 
And the, the two characters kind of, they unfreeze and they look around and they know something happened. They know that, that something's off, but they, they don't right away realize what it was or what it is for a few seconds. And maybe it's a little bit longer in, in some stories, but here, Adam and Eve, they, they tuned in pretty quickly. They realized we're naked. And scripture says once they realized that they were naked, they, they covered themselves up. I don't believe that this was just a physical vulnerability or the need to conceal themselves just because they were naked. I believe that there was a, a need to cover themselves up physically and emotionally as well. Because they were, that was broken also. You see, when we, when, when we think about it, in our, excuse me, in our marriage relationships, what are two other things that we often struggle with? Usually one person struggles to share their emotions. One person gets there quicker than the other. And have you ever noticed that for some reason, as married couples, it takes us a little while to get there to pray with each other? That so many times, over the years as I've met with different couples, it's a lot of work to encourage them to sit down and just pray together. Because they are fearful of being vulnerable with each other. There are other things that, that they can do, but for some reason, when it comes to the, the, the spiritual act of, of prayer with one another, it's, it's difficult. And sometimes having one be emotional, express their emotions, that's really going on, that vulnerability is, is more difficult for one than the other, getting them on the same page that comes from the Garden of Eden because it became fractured. But that tension is about to become more intense as we read in verses 8 to 13. Then the man and his wife heard the, Lord, the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, and I heard, he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten the tree from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. You know, there, there is so much here that we could learn. So much here, but we just, we don't have the time to go through it. But did you notice? Did you notice 
Adam's initial response. God asks him the question, okay, Adam, did you eat from the tree? Adam's response to God, who at just a few moments earlier, he had a perfect open relationship with. He knew who God was. He knew that God was holy. His response was, the woman you put me here with. In the first three words to God, he blamed God and the woman. The woman, you. And then God turns to the woman, because it gets even better here. Then he turns to the woman and he questions her, and what did she do? Well, she blamed the devil. The devil made me do it. That's where that expression comes from. The devil made me do it. That comes right from the garden. Let me ask you another question. Has blame crept its way into your marital relationship? Has it crept its way into your home? Parents, I bet you you have had to step in and intervene a few times with your kids. You're trying to settle a, a dispute or an, or an argument, and, and, and what, what do they do right away? One blames the other, and then you have to sort it out, and you have to figure it out. Now, I, I know that there are probably some kids, especially some teenagers here, and you're probably saying, well, you know, forget that. It usually is my sibling's fault, right? Put your hand up if you're a teenager. Put your hand up if you agree. It usually is the other one's fault. There we go. Yeah, you've heard that story before. You know, but this whole issue of blame, you know, Adam and Eve, they, they didn't get a handle on it. You know, and because they, did, they didn't get a handle on it, God had to admonish them. And so God admonishes them, and, and things actually, it, because they couldn't handle blame, it actually led to something that, that I think is the, the thing that has interfered and crept into and robbed our families in today's world. And it really starts in Genesis chapter 16. I'm going to read Genesis, sorry, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 3.16 and also Genesis chapter 3.20. And, and, and these are some, some tricky words I realize that I'm going to read here. This is after he admonished the serpent and he had admonished Adam and he had admonished Eve. God says to the woman, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And if you go down to verse 20, Adam wasn't God. It was after the fall that Adam named his wife Eve because she would become mother. So he named her mom of all of the living. Now, I understand 
that these words have been words that in every culture throughout history, because of our brokenness, have caused women to struggle with identity. Because I have heard so many times moms say to me, I love being a mom. It is my greatest joy. But you know what? I'm more than a mom. I have other gifts. And I have other abilities. And when we read scripture, it wasn't too far down the road that we saw women lose their identity because of the broken translations of men towards this text. And we don't have time to get into the breakdown of, of what God was saying when he said, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. But I, and, and what that meant when Adam was the one that named Eve. But I, I will say this to you. When God created Eve, he took her out of Adam's side. And I think the purpose was for them to walk side by side and to complement and walk together. And I think for centuries upon centuries upon centuries and cultures around the world, we've missed that. And I'll leave it there. But there's been a broken identity. And that broken identity, it, it continued. And I, and I believe that, that Eve's broken identity, it, it continued into her offspring. Read with me Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Adam and Eve made love, <clears throat> Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, we know the story of Cain and Abel. We're very familiar with it. God asked Cain and Abel to bring him sacrifices. Cain tended the fields, or Abel tended the flocks. God rejected Cain's sacrifice, and he accepted Abel's sacrifice. The reason that he accepted Abel's sacrifice is because he brought him the very best from his flock. The reason he rejected Cain's sacrifice is because Cain didn't bring him the very best from the fields. And as we read this, this text, we see that Cain was, he was pretty bent out of shape about it, wasn't he? And you know what? I, I, think, I, I think I know why. I think I know why Cain didn't bring him the very best. And that's why I read verses 1 and 2. Verse 1, she said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. I did some research into that. You know the, the, the more accurate Hebrew translation for that is, with the Lord's help, I have brought forth the man, the man. 
And notice how it says, later she gave birth to Abel. The man. Cain was the man. You've met people like that, haven't you? I'm the man. Cain was the man. And Cain knew that he was the man. Mom thinks I'm the man. So he had that misguided identity about himself. And so when it came to giving sacrifices to God, Abel had a better understanding of who he was and what he owed or what he needed to offer to God. Cain didn't have the full understanding of his identity of who he was before a holy God because his mom had a broken identity and that broken identity was passed on to her son. And so her her son thought, well, I can just give God something. And so God said, you just don't give me something, you give me the best. And when he said to Cain, you didn't give me the best, he didn't know what to do with it because he'd never been told no before. And when someone who's been told, never been told no before has been faced with some kind of re- rejection, They don't know what to do with it. And so God says to him in verse 7, or verses 6 and 7, why are you so angry? Why are you so downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over with. Can you, can you sense the urgency that's being expressed by God here? He's not just making a statement. There's urgency here. He's begging Cain. And God always gives us warnings. He always kind of tips us off, if you will, that if you go this path, if, if you make this choice, there's going to be a consequence. There's going to be a, a price to pay. And so the, the word desire comes from an, an Arabic, or Arabic root that means to compel, urge, or seek control over. And so what he's saying with urgency towards Cain is that if you don't, tame or if you don't conquer this thing that is seeking to control you right now. So I understand that you are very, very angry. I understand that you're upset. But this thing has a possession over you right now. It's got such a control over you right now that it is crouching over, it's crouching at your door. It's like a it's like a, a tiger that's ready to to lounge for or launch forward at you to devour you. If, if you don't deal with it right now, it will be bad for you. And so after this urgency, we read in Scripture that Cain went to his brother and hugged him and said, you are my brother and I love you dearly. No, we don't read that, do we? We read the exact opposite. He gave in to his urges. He killed his brother. The ultimate consequence for that was 
He became a restless wanderer upon the earth. Talk about a loss of identity. A restless wanderer upon the earth. We have a number of those, don't we, in our world today. Our culture is in the throes of an identity crisis. You know, folks, that's the thing. That's what's, that's the vehicle that Satan is using. He's using that to target our children. Our children are being encouraged to doubt who they are and who they were created to be. At every turn, and you know this, at every turn, they are being told that the sensible thing to do, the sensible thing to do is to question their own identity. If you're not questioning how you are created, if you aren't questioning, if you are comfortable with who you are, then that doesn't make sense. You need to question your mom and dad. You need to question grandma and grandpa. You need to question this book because this book is archaic. They're pounded with it. You know, parents, I, can't, I cannot whitewash this for you. I cannot candy coat it. You have a really, really tough job. You really do. You have so much more to deal with than what my parents had to deal with when I was a kid. The biggest things that they had to deal with was don't listen to ACDC and Motley Crue or smoke cigarettes. That was the thing that stressed them out. It's way more for you. Way more. So what do you do? What do you do? right here you know this word it has to be it must be the ultimate authority in your home and it has to be up here your family must sit underneath it they must submit to it all of its teachings and I've had one child Go through some university. I've got one daughter who's at Briarcrest, and I will say this: I shouldn't be giving shameless plugs for places, but I will. I praise God that I've got a daughter that still goes to a Christian institution that will not cave, because there are too many Christian institutions right now that are just becoming too liberal and waving a little bit of here, a little bit there, because they need the money to stay open. I praise God that there are some that just simply say, no, we are, we're not going to do it. But I did have one son that went to some secular, a secular university. This book is mocked. You are considered a fool. You are considered dumb, uneducated. 
Parents, you are teaching your children something that is not popular, but you have to tell them this is the textbook. This is the truth. This is the guide. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sit against thee. And you know what? What I have found is your kids, they, they will get to an age where they will ask questions. They will want to examine their faith for themselves. But you'll be amazed at how they'll, they'll come around. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll realize that, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of sense there. The world, they try and come up with a lot of answers for a lot of things. But this is where the peace is. But it's not easy. It's, it, it's easy as, as a Christian parent to, to sometimes to just to, to cave, to lower the standard. It is. But then you've got to raise it back up again, and we will fail. We will fall. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. That narrow road that God has called us to walk. I mean, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the road that leads to, to life. I have found as we walk that narrow road, it, it doesn't say that the narrow road doesn't have dips and dives. It doesn't say that on that narrow road that we're, we aren't going to fall down and scrape our knees and, and cut ourselves and, and wound ourselves on the way, we are. We are. But we've got this book to help us get back up. And we've got a Savior who's got two wounds in his hand to reach out to us and pull us back up. We're going to make mistakes as parents. It, it, it's going to happen. But we keep leaning on the teachings of this book. You know, one of the things I found is, while it's not easy, there is a blessing. You will be blessed, you know. From beauty to brokenness to blessing. It was healthy in the Garden of Eden. Things became broken and unhealthy. You know, we're never going to get full health again until we're on the other side. But we can get healthier. Our marriages can, can become more healthy here on earth. Our families can become more healthy. But one of the beautiful things I read in scripture is in the book of Numbers. It's called the Nazarite Vow. And uh, the children of Israel, some of the children of Israel, that's in Numbers chapter 6. Those who had chosen to consecrate themselves and show God that they were serious about being holy before him, they abstained for a period of time from from a number of different things. Um, and as they had chosen to, to enter upon this time of, of holiness, God went to the leader of the children of Israel, Moses, and he said, I want you to go to your older brother, Aaron, 
who was the first high priest of Israel, he says, I want you to say this blessing over the children of Israel. I want you to say these words. And you're familiar with these words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. That wasn't, those weren't Aaron's words. Those were God's words. And I think this morning, you know, and I I would like to invite um, Jen and Chris, if you want to come forward. I, I think this morning, there are probably some of you here who could use a blessing. Your family, your marriage, you need words of life spoken into it. And one of the things when I was in, in that church in Moose Jaw visiting my, my daughter is I noticed that families today are a unique blend. It's a unique dynamic, isn't it? And whatever your family dynamic is, maybe you just need a blessing. You need prayer. Maybe you feel like you're a a restless wanderer upon the earth. Maybe you have someone in your family who is a restless wanderer upon the earth. Maybe you are praying that one of your kids doesn't become a restless wanderer upon the earth. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, yo, man, keeping this book up here right now is a real challenge in our family. And you know what, Graham? I feel like, oh, man, I feel like I'm faltering. And it's really difficult. I feel like I'm Moses and my, my hands are going like this and I need someone to come alongside me and prop them up. I, I just need someone to pray with me. I need encouragement. I, I've got to have someone come alongside me. And I would just invite, if, if people want to come forward as, as the, the worship team uh, um, leads us in, in some songs. If that's you and maybe Larry and another uh, member of the leadership team would be willing to, to pray over you. But you know what? That's, that's one of the reasons why we're here. Is we're a team. We're cheerleaders. That's why the early church gathered on Sunday mornings because they were getting beat up in the world. And we're heading that direction fast and furious where the world beats us up and we come here because we need each other so we can go back out there and be strong so if you're here this morning and you need a blessing you need someone to pray over you to pray over your family maybe you want to come up here as a family and just have someone pray a blessing over your family maybe you just want to come up here as a parent and say I just need more strength Maybe you're a single individual here and you're standing in the gap for someone. If that's here this if that's you this morning and you're here and you need to do that, I just invite you to come forward and we will be more than happy to to pray over you.